Hashtag Pistons Podcast. I'm Joe. I'm your host. It is Thanksgiving morning. Um, woke up early today, as I usually do, because I wake up early for work, and just wanted to get a little bit of a recording in. As I said last time, um, podcasts are going to be a little irregular, just with the way timing works out in my schedule with work and stuff. Um, just a little bit hard to get them in regularly, but, you know, got a little bit of a break, so... Don't know how long we're going to go today, but we're going to get you something you can listen to during your Thanksgiving travels. So, last night the Pistons got shellacked by the Bucks. Uh, is it fair to say shellacked? I mean, they only lost by 20 in the end, but I'm going to still say shellacked just because, I mean, I said this in my recap, but really felt like the Pistons were never in that game. Uh you know, they got it a little close toward in the middle part of the game uh, behind Trey Lyles and Saban Lee, those savants of basketball. But j- just never felt like there was any real threat. So, yeah, we're not going to talk about that game. <laughs> I thought maybe we would, but I'm not going to. Just don't feel like it. I just wrote my recap. That's up. It's on my Substack. It's on the Pistons subreddit if you want to read that. So, I want to talk about a couple of other things, um, sort of bigger picture things, because once again, those games were, this game and the previous game against Miami, both were just kind of, quite frankly, just kind of miserable games, and I don't really want to talk about them. <laughs> I wrote recaps for both of you want to hear my thoughts on either game. Um, so one thing I want to hit to start is, uh, in my recaps I've often, in particular I've mentioned this when talking about Frank Jackson lately is I've talked a lot about how it seems like he's the first of the wing players to kind of find a real a real comfort zone in this year's team. And I've had a couple of people ask I've had a couple of people ask um you know what do you mean by that? What is uh you know why would anybody have trouble? And I think it basically comes down to so you think about last season, okay? So for starters, Cade isn't there, and Killian Hayes is hurt most of the season. When he comes back, he's kind of just working his way in. Not a big deal. And so you've got that. And then on top of that, you've got there's injuries, there's guys who just kind of shut it down and such. And so later in the season, it kind of opens the door for you know guys like Frank Jackson and Saban Lee and Hamadou Diallo to really, um, you know, play some major minutes and get a lot of shots up all season. Sadiq Bey pretty much has a green light. Jeremy Grant has a green light pretty much all season until he starts to uh, break down a little bit later on. And, you know, so coming into this season then with the addition of Cade and with Killian effectively being a new addition to that rotation because he wasn't, you know, he was hurt most of last year and then even when he came back he was not the same he was not all the way there, basically. Um, someone was going to be the odd man out, and a lot of people are struck. It was it was predictable, particularly with a Dwayne Casey offense that's obviously not very structured. And you know, even if you are a Dwayne Casey believer, which obviously I'm not, but you know, he he does not have a structured offense. That's the point. Now, some people would say, well, I don't want a super structured offense. I want a free-flowing offense. Um, now, I would say none of Dwayne Casey's offenses have 
ever been free-flowing, but that's neither here nor there for this conversation. Um, basically, even if you are a in favor of Dwayne Casey and his offensive philosophy, it definitely does not lend itself to helping guys to figure out a concrete role for where they should be in the team in terms of, you know, how many shots are they taking, what kind of shots are they taking, where are they even getting those shots from, like where on the floor. Uh, and that's not to even mention how many minutes guys are playing, who guys are playing with, you know, who's starting, who's coming off the bench, who's playing in what lineups, like who gets to play next to Cade and Killian and try and benefit from that passing, who plays with Corey Joseph, that type of thing. So, yeah, basically it was predictable that guys were going to have struggle. We're going to. Guys were going to have struggle. Guys were going to have some struggles figuring out where they belonged in the lineup. And I think that that's a big reason for some of the struggles that um, players have had this season uh, at the guard positions. Like, you think about the guys. So, Sadiq Bate, now he's all the way up to 30% from three. But clearly he has not been right. Jeremy Grant has not been that good. Uh, you know, just a lot of the wing and guard players on this team have really struggled. And I think that a lot of it comes back to that fact that guys are struggling to know where they belong in the offense. And I felt like, now he got hurt last night, I guess. Well, I haven't, I haven't seen anything. Maybe I missed it. Um, but I haven't seen anything concrete. But Grayson Allen, because of course it was Grayson Allen, tripped him up and he fell over. And he looked like he was dinged up there, but he kept playing. But later on, he uh, he was on the bench and he left the bench and went back to the locker room. And I'm pretty sure he didn't come back in after that, I think. But anyways, he seems like he's one of the first guys of the guards in the wings. Other than, I think that... Uh, Kate Cunningham has a pretty good feel of where he should be, um, which is basically have the ball a lot, and he's he seems to have a pretty good feel for how to pick his spots and when to attack and when not to attack. But outside of him, Frank Jackson seemed like he's the guy who kind of has figured out his spot first, which is, you know, they were starting him out of the gate um, and playing him a lot of minutes at the start of the season, which I think was a bad fit. I think he's just, he's not a well-rounded enough offensive player to be effective as a starter and his defense is meh. Um, I know that James Edwards on Twitter the other day was mentioning that he actually thought Frank Jackson is a plus defender. Um, you know, no offense to James. I like him. He's a good writer. He's smart. I don't want to besmirch him, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not totally sure what he's looking at there. Frank plays hard, which on defense in the NBA that is a big part of it, uh, and that could take you a long way, but I would not say he's a plus defender. So basically he's not a well-rounded enough guy to really work effectively as a starter, um, but as a bench guy who can come off the bench and just shoot a bunch, he he fits really well. And in particular, I think he's found that um, the left corner, and when I say left, so like if you are standing at the three-point line facing the hoop, to your left, that corner. Um, that's a really comfortable spot for him to shoot from. And he's really, I think he's found himself there a lot. He's done a really good job of kind of moving off the ball with an intention to get himself open in that spot. And, yeah, it's just, it's really nice to see because 
So if you think about there's a certain number of guys on this roster that are kind of younger guys that the Pistons effectively took flyers on. So that's Frank Jackson, Josh Jackson, uh, Saban Lee, um, Hamadou Diallo. That's really, those are the main ones, okay? Those four guys. In practical terms, it's most likely that none of them are going to be a part of the long-term situation just because you look at teams that go through a rebuild usually the sort of marginal guys just don't last it that's just usually how it goes the only way you last is you know and as much as we all want to believe that this team is going to start winning soon realistically it's probably going to be at least another year after this where they're going to stink stink and then they might start to like sniff a playoff spot after that and so by the time even if this team even does get to the point where they're a genuine contender, just it's most likely that it will be far enough down the road that I, there's a pretty good chance that Cade Cunningham will be the only guy currently on the roster that will still be there for that. Um, but at a basic level, if one of the guys that they took a flyer on can end up being a real player for them, uh, that'd be a nice win for them. So... I think Frank is really showing some stuff here. His overall numbers for the season are still not impressive. He's only shooting 30% from three on the season, which, you know, it's kind of funny to think about that. So his shooting percentage from three is the same as Sadiq Bay, but you feel like Frank's been shooting so much better. Uh, but in for what it's worth, Sadiq has stabilized a little bit recently, um, but he hasn't busted out of the slump in a big way, which is, I don't know if I'm concerned about it. I'm less concerned about him than I was previously because previously and I think I even said this on the podcast the last podcast I recorded but I felt like it was beyond just the fact that he wasn't hitting shots there was something within his game that just didn't look right he was passing up some open threes he didn't look as confident as previously he wasn't as um free to let it fly as he was previously and uh I think he's back to playing the way that you want Sadiq Bey to play. But he just needs to hit more shots. And, you know, the other thing is with him, I do wonder... He just seems to struggle. And this was a thing for him last season as well. Is It's like, you look at last season. um, His efficiency was just okay. Uh, it was a little below league average last year. And while it's way below that this year, um, and he's still not shooting that great from inside the arc. And I do wonder if he can kind of get enough going to where he can really make it work on the offensive end overall. Um, one thing that he is making work, I will say, and I mentioned this in my recap, but so, you know, at the start of the season, he comes out of the gate, and he's doing a lot of stuff with the ball in his hands. And uh, it looks okay. And a lot of people were getting really excited. I kind of poo-pooed that, and I was like, look, he was getting guarded by DeMar DeRozan most of the night. DeMar DeRozan's not a good defender, certainly not a good individual defender, and he made him pay. But it's like the Miami Heat game was a good example of why, even though Sadiq Bay is now proven, pretty well proven that he's not, you know, He's not really taking on a significant shot creation role. Um, he's The fact that he can do some of that is still valuable because, um, so against the Heat, 
the heat kind of just stuck Duncan Robinson on him. And he promptly went at Duncan Robinson. I think he scored, I don't know, I don't remember for sure, two or three buckets, pretty easy buckets off of that. And that matters because in a theoretical future where the Pistons are in the playoffs, um, in playoff series, you see it every year. If you don't have the ability to do at least a little bit of that, you it's very easy to play you off the floor. Um, because so, you know, the example I've continually used is, let's just say the Pistons are playing the Hawks in a playoff series. The Hawks need to put Trey Young on someone. Trey Young is a terrible defender, and their preference would be to hide him on a three-point shooter who can't create his own shot. And it's like, if you want to go at Trey Lyle, Trey Lyles, if you want to go at Trey Young, go ahead, but you're going to have to do it with a guy who really, that's not his game. Um... I feel pretty comfortable right now that if that's Sadiq Bey, uh, Sadiq's going to make him pay for it. And they're not going to feel comfortable putting Trey Young on Sadiq Bey. And then obviously on the other side, on defense, Sadiq Bey's nothing to write home about defensively. And I don't think he will be. He just He's not that kind of an athlete. But he's certainly he's big, he's strong, he plays pretty hard, he mostly knows what he's doing to a point that once again, at the very least, you don't have to be—you don't have to hide him on defense. You don't want to be sticking him on the opposing team's best player or anything like that. But you don't need to hide Sadiq Bay defensively, which, once again, that's the type of thing that, on a really bad team like this, it doesn't make a big difference. Um, but on a good team, it makes a big difference. It's one of those things the sort of the classic phrase is: um, "You're not a floor raiser; you're a ceiling raiser." Uh, when people talk about this, they talk about, like, uh, Draymond Green has been referred to as, like, the ultimate example of this, where if you put Draymond Green and you put him on a really bad team, which we've actually seen the last few years with the Warriors with all their injuries, he just he doesn't make much of a difference. He can't really score. Uh, his defense is excellent, but it's excellent in a way that is not necessarily carry the rest of the team to it being a good defensive team. But you put him on a good team, he like he amplifies other players being good. Now, Sadiq Bey is not that. He doesn't amplify other good players. But it doesn't matter with the team being this bad that he can, you know, it doesn't matter that he can score a couple of buckets against Duncan Robinson right now. It doesn't matter that he's not going to get totally exposed defensively by people right now because the Pistons suck anyways. But in a theoretical future where the Pistons don't suck, that will matter. And that's something that's nice to see, and it's a good development for him. Um, what was I? I was talking about Frank Jackson. You know, you get a little confused. It's Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already getting going. You know, we're already starting. We got a dog this past week. We adopted a retired Greyhound racer. It's, she's really sweet. My wife likes her. Uh, I've always had dogs. My wife had never had a dog before, so she thinks she's the best. One interesting thing I learned about this, this is a total side thing, but, um, you know, I in fact, I actually was specifically asked to tell people about this. So the dog we adopted is a retired racer, a greyhound, so raced at tracks. And, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, 
I'm already out of water here, so my voice I might I might need to cough again. But so I did some research about that, and my understanding, and I I straight up asked the people who came um, part of the adoption agency and stuff, and they, this group only works with greyhounds, and. I guess that actually, you know, you hear some awful things about greyhound racing, and apparently it's not really true anymore. Uh, almost all the spots, because greyhound racing has declined so much, um, and it's been made illegal a lot of places, to the point where the sort of bad actors in the in the in that industry just kind of left because there wasn't that kind of money in it anymore, and so today actually. Um, the dogs are largely treated really well. Almost all of the dogs, when they retire, are able to be adopted. Um, and the dogs love to do it. And, yeah, so the more I've looked in, I've, I've spent a lot of time researching it just to kind of look it up. And, um, you know, there's a few groups that are really against it, but it turns out those groups are mostly just kind of crackpots. So, yeah, it's just, I don't need to get further into it. But if you live somewhere, particularly like West Virginia or Iowa, if you live somewhere where there is greyhound racing still legal and a thing comes up to try and make it illegal, vote against it and tell other people to do that. Because actually, pretty much everybody who actually is involved with the dogs at all in any way, shape, or form agrees that today there's not the serious problems that there used to be. Uh, and it's actually a good thing overall, and we like it. So that's something to keep in mind. And uh, they, they, the people, when I asked them that, the adoption people who came, and uh, they brought three dogs, and we had to pick one. Um, and when they came, I just straight up asked them, and they were like, oh, we're so, we're so thankful you actually even did some research on your own, and you asked about that, because a lot of people are uneducated. It's like Florida outlawed it just this past year and they just said straight up it's like that's just uneducated people voting on something that they don't really know anything about they see one thing about how you know a few years ago a dog died at a track because they like ran into an electrical wire or something and it's like that's awful but that's like one time that happened that doesn't happen very much so yeah so that's something and they specifically said oh tell anyone else if you feel like it so here i am telling you Shout out Greyhounds. Greyhounds are great dogs. If you want to adopt a dog, I would recommend. Although, really more of a couch potato than a dog. But, anyways, <clears throat> this is a Pistons podcast, not a Greyhound podcast. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving morning. We're already getting after it. It may only be 5.30 Eastern time, but we're getting after it nonetheless. I don't got to drive anywhere today. <laughs> I'll make my wife drive us to Grandma's. And uh, the Egg Bowl is tonight. Going to have fun watching Ole Miss, Mississippi State. I love watching that game. It's always entertaining. Always wild stuff happening. Hashtag beat Ohio. Um, so, a few other things. Oh, I know what we should talk about. We should talk about Isaiah Stewart. Um, first off, the whole deal with LeBron. Uh, I won't linger on it too long just because... And I wrote about it. I, I dedicate a couple of paragraphs to it in my recap of that game. But it's a good example of more than one thing can be true at once. And I don't know why. I don't know if this is a newer thing or if it's always been like this, like if people have always been like this. But it definitely seems like a lot of people, especially when you're dealing with like social media and stuff, they act like if you think this one thing, then clearly you can't believe in this other thing, right? So things that are true. 
number one, LeBron absolutely took a cheap shot on him. Like, on the slow motion, it's ridiculous. He looks right at him, balls up his fist, and bah! Just bah! Gets him. And clearly purposeful. Uh, I would believe, because I think on replay, it looked like he kind of got him with his elbow, and that's what really made him start bleeding badly, like from the forehead. So I could believe that he didn't really mean to get him with the elbow and, like, maybe didn't be, didn't mean to do the kind of damage that he did, but he absolutely did on purpose. So that's the first thing. 100% a cheap shot. Thing number two that's true. Isaiah Stewart had every right to be really, really angry. Not just Jalen Rose, hold me back, angry. We're talking, like, angry, angry. Right? Every right. His initial reaction, totally justified. No problem with it. Thing number three, that's also true. Once he's being let off the court and he's telling people, no, I'm good, I'm good. And the trainer is there trying to look at his face. And he's like, no, I'm good, I'm good. And they let go of him. And then he sprints back across the court. That's bad. There's no excuse for it. Keep a cooler head. That's all it is. So, bigger picture though. Um, Isaiah Stewart is... I'm not totally sure what to do with him at this point. Um, He clearly just stopped shooting threes. It's not a thing that's happening. And I would like to, I wish that someone would remind him that, you know, you can be a shooter and not shoot threes. Uh, You know, not to get all herd or analytics bad, but, you know, it is okay, especially if you're a young player on a bad team and you're trying to progress, you know. He took some mid-range jumpers in college and in high school, so I don't know why he couldn't take like some free-throw line jumpers right now. And while, yes, obviously we'd prefer you to hit three-pointers than mid-range jumpers, but you got to start somewhere. So and you should have that in your bag already. So go ahead and take some of that. And the main question with him, I'm not sure what I think of his defense overall. It's clearly pretty good. Uh, he plays hard. He gets in the right spot a lot. He's got pretty good hands. But there are times where the fact that he's just not that big or athletic by NBA standards, of course. He's, you know, if you saw Isaiah Stewart on the street, you'd be astounded by what a giant of a man that is and how athletic he is, but by NBA standards, of course. Um, and there are games where that kind of gets exposed. And. It's also a little bit funny because when Troy Weaver first got to Detroit, um, a lot of people talked about how, oh, this guy's a Weaver guy, and what people were referring to as a Troy Weaver guy were almost always guys who were big and really athletic, basically Hamadou Diallo. And one of the reasons people said that is because that's always been a common theme in, in Oklahoma City. Uh, they tended to really gravitate towards guys that are long and athletic. And there's a certain irony to the fact that now here we are, and regularly, particularly from neutral observers, when, you know, if you follow enough people on Twitter that are sort of not Pistons fans, um, you can tell, and they happen to catch a Pistons game, and... Almost always they talk about how the Pistons just look kind of not athletic. And I think that Stewart is a big part of that in the middle. He's not a lob threat. He's not an intimidating rim protector. He can block some shots, and he's got good timing for it. But 
if he doesn't get off his feet, he's not really bothering people. And, yeah, I just, I wonder where, it's a little hard to decide for sure for me what I think of his defense because I do love his activity. I think his hands are good. And it's also undeniable that he is important to this Pistons team's defense. But I think that has more to do with the fact that other than him, the Pistons have bigs that can't defend at all. So I wonder if, like, you know, if the Pistons had Eric Moreland as his backup, people might not be saying as many nice things about Stu's defense because it's like, well, the defense doesn't crater when he's off the floor because it's not Kelly Olenek and Luka Garza backing him up. But, yeah, I'm not sure what to make of his defense. Offensively, I think it, there's no way around it. It's a problem. Um, he's he's pretty much just a, he's pretty much a replacement level player on offense. Uh, you could pull any number of dudes out of the G League who could bring what he brings on the offensive end, which is he's not a lob threat, he's not shooting threes at all, he's not a plus passer. Um, he occasionally sets good screens, but he's not really that good of a screen setter. Although that's something that can be learned, obviously. Uh, and and he he's a good offensive rebounder, but he hasn't crashed the boards as much this season. So he just he really does not bring much on the offensive end. And while most of the Pistons' offensive struggles lie squarely at the feet of the fact that they have a pair of, you know, really young ball handlers and Cade Cunningham and Killian Hayes, and, you know, it's a time-tested thing of if you want to have a really bad offense, have young ball handlers. It's just it's just the way it is. Uh, but I think that Stewart's, Stewart, he's just a black hole on offense. And not a black hole in terms of, like, when you get him the ball, it never comes out. A black hole in terms of there's just not anything worthwhile there. And that's one of the reasons why it's like, why not just take some free throw jumpers, you know? Because at least you're providing something of value then. Right now you're providing nothing. So at least take those. Uh, And I do have some hope for that because he did take some shoot. He was, you know, he wasn't a shooter in college, but he did shoot sometimes. And, uh... He clearly works hard, so I have some hope for him there. But I think that he does need to figure some stuff out this season because he's kind of teetering a little bit on, I don't know if he's a starter long-term. And the Pistons don't want to suck this bad beyond this season. I think they'll probably still be bad next season, but they don't want to be in this level of bad after this season. So this is a season he has to try and figure this out. And I don't know if he, I hope he does, because I really like Stewart. I really like his effort. But he's got to add something to his offensive game, because he brings nothing there. Um, Let's see. 